This is Pastor Scott. Thank you so much for checking out my sermon podcast from the New Hope Walpolopin Faith, Stairwell, and Slocum United Methodist Churches. We'd love to have you join us some Sunday for worship. To find out more about our locations and worship times, find us on Facebook at New Hope Walpolopin. We hope to see you soon. Well, you may have heard this story, but have you heard the story about um, a pastor and his wife as they were approaching retirement? And they decided that they were going to try and save some money so that they were better prepared for, for uh, retirement. Um, now, they both had their vices. They had their temptations. The pastor, uh, much like me, loved his technology, always upgrading to the newest and best device. He, he had a, a shelves full of books, half of which he read. That definitely sounds like me. Um, and, and so, he, you know, he, he had his vice and his wife, she, she loved clothing. Um, she had a closet full of beautiful things and, and dresses and, and things that she would wear. And one day, um, while the pastor was working, his, his wife had gone um, away, had gone shopping and uh, came home with a shopping bag wearing a brand new red dress. And the pastor um, looked at the red dress and said, I thought we were trying to save money. I thought we had this agreement. She said, you know, I, I was walking by the store and I saw this in the window and I thought, you know, it won't hurt anything just to try it on. And she said, so I went in and I tried it on and, and then I saw myself in the mirror and I thought, you know, I, I really need to have this. And she said, I just couldn't resist the temptation. And the pastor looked at his wife and he said, did you try the trick that we talked about that whenever we were tempted to spend money that we, were, we would say, get behind me, Satan? And the wife said, well, well, yeah, I actually did do that. I said, get behind me, Satan. And he said, it looks really good from back here, too. <laughs> I love that joke. <laughs> but today's lesson from, from Mark is one of the infamous passages where Jesus tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, after Peter rebukes or, or criticized him. Um, I've actually tried that line of my wife just for fun. It went over about as well as you expect. Um, she usually laughs and then punches me in the arm. Uh, <laughs> love, right? Anyway, uh, uh, Peter, but Peter, the reason Peter rejects, uh, rebukes Jesus, um, and because I think Peter was actually in the right here, is because... In the passages immediately preceding today's and, and even other passages we see in Mark, Jesus tells the disciples not to tell anyone. If you remember even um, in the Transfiguration a couple weeks ago as they were coming down the mountain, what does Jesus say? Don't tell anybody what you just witnessed. So he's actually going to – which is – this will happen uh, later in Mark. So we're actually in front of this now. So Jesus tells them this yet again. But today Jesus said um, – even before this, Jesus said to them – uh, it says, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. So, so Peter, we see Peter tell Jesus, you know, he calls Jesus out because then and today we see Jesus then begin to preach to them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed after three days, rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. See, imagine this from Peter's perspective. Peter's probably standing there and he's like, Jesus, my dude, you just said not to tell anybody, and you're telling everybody. Like, you're giving away the whole plan. Like, what gives? 
And so Jesus goes on and he rebukes Peter right back. So, you know, Peter rebukes Jesus and Jesus is like right back at you. Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind on divine, not on divine things, but on human things. You know, you're not seeing the bigger picture here, Peter. You're looking at this from your limited human perspective, which the disciples and even we often do. We see things from our limited human perspective. See, I think one of the reasons for Peter's objection was out of this earthly concern for Jesus' safety. Um, Jesus was kind of moving up the most wanted list. I mean, the Pharisees and the teachers, they were all not so happy because Jesus was not shy about calling them out. Um, You know, things like, you brood of vipers. I mean, that's not exactly the greatest compliment uh, because vipers often would eat their young. So, you know, he's telling them, you know, you're eating each other. You know, you're, you're this is how you are. So they were out to get him. They were following him around. They were they were looking for reasons. They were basically saying at this point, they were like, all right, we got to figure out a way how we can catch this guy so we can be rid of him. Um, because Jesus was also, though, it wasn't just undermining their authority. He was also disturbing the peace. Um, and there was fear of not just of, of the of, you know, the of the the Pharisees and the teachers. There was this concern that. What if Rome catches wind that there might be this Jewish uprising happening? Because some of the stuff Jesus says, um, which we'll read about momentarily, some of the stuff that Jesus says is a little controversial and a little – it sounds like he's undermining the authorities of the Romans. And as Rome did anything, Rome would rule with a heavy hand. So they knew that – or they were afraid that if Rome caught wind of this possible uprising, that they were going to drop the hammer, that they were going to just sort of come back and – take care of things, you know, and they were going to to sort of wipe out or come after the Jewish people. So they were afraid of what might happen, that they might make life worse or they might actually start killing people. Because during this time, there was a thing called the Pax Romana or, or Roman peace. And it really wasn't peace as much as it was everybody, you know, the Romans ruled with a heavy hand because um, the Rome promised peace, but it was an exchange for loyalty to the empire. You had to be loyal to Caesar. Uh, there was heavy taxation. There was forced labor, and there was even, you know, sacrificial death. So it was like, we will give you peace, but it's at what cost? The other objection that Peter had, though, had to be his human perspective was Jesus' talk of his death. Imagine if if you had joined a movement and the leader's like, you know, three years in, hey, we're, you know, I'm going to die for the cause. And it's like, wait a second, I just gave three years to this and you're going to die. Where's that going to leave us? There was this, you know, everybody expected, first of all, this Messiah to come in and sort of, you know, kick Rome off the throne and kind of take over and, and restore Israel to power. You know, this king from the lineage of David, this Messiah was supposed to come in like a great mighty warrior. So, all of a sudden, he's talking about dying. Like, well, wait a second. You're supposed to not. That's no. That's not the plan. You know, that's not what. That's not what you know. The Old Testament said it said this mighty king, because in their minds, again, they were thinking of things from their earthly or human limited earthly human perspective. And I honestly think that G, that the disciples thought this even up until the crucifixion. And I don't think they really, really understood what Jesus was talking about until after the resurrection. I think it took Jesus like, hey, guys, I'm still here. Remember me? Um, I think it took that to start finally show them, okay, so this guy really meant what he said. Now we kind of get it. But after the confrontation with Peter, Jesus kind of doubles down on all of this. And he goes on to talk about the cost of discipleship. And as you, as I read this, think about the Roman, what I just said, the Pax Romana, about loyalty and, and you know, a high cost and taxation and, and dying and all of that. That's what Jesus says. He called the crowd with the disciples and said to them, if any wish to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. 
For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? It's kind of controversial. It's like it sounds like a movement if you really look at it that way. But in reality, what Jesus was laying out to his disciples is what it's going to take for them to follow him. Because he knew that the road that he was about to walk was not going to be an easy one. He knew that the road that they would walk after the resurrection, after he was taken into heaven, they knew he knew that, that, that the road that they were going to walk even after him and he had gone back was not going to be an easy road. But the cross was a device of torture and punishment. Why would anybody choose to, to take up and take it up? And what does it mean for us to carry our cross? Think about it. What if, what if somebody showed up today and says, take up your gallows and follow me or take up your, I don't know, electric chair. It's a little less, you know, could you imagine wearing an electric chair around your neck? That would be kind of odd. But um, I mean, the cross was, was, a, was a heavy thing. It was not, a, it was a torture device. So when Jesus is talking about taking up your cross and be willing to lay down your life, um, at face value, not exactly the best recruitment speech. Could you imagine if you, you signed up for a job and that guy, this job is going to require everything you are. You might die during it. Now, they don't usually put that in the fine prints. They just try to kill you. But <laughs> just kidding, sort of. But could you imagine like all of a sudden if this movement, I mean, this was there's a lot of controversial stuff. But again, because we think about this and we hear this from our limited human perspective. But throughout the Gospels, Jesus talks about discipleship as sacrificial. Um, now, it's not just a mere rejection of personal preferences. It's not just a mere following these rules or these laws or doing this and not doing that. Um, I mean, I grew up in a tradition. Um, my, growing up, my grandpa and grandma didn't believe in playing cards. Um, so, you know, we didn't gamble. Um, but we couldn't even use them for go fish. We had to actually buy the go fish cards they make for kids or Uno. We could play Uno, but we couldn't have actual playing cards in a house because they were used for gambling. Um, I almost went to a Christian college that um, I couldn't listen to rock music, even if it was Christian, um, you, that you couldn't have a drum set on campus. And I was I grew up as a drummer, um, almost went to that college. And then the college I did go to. Um, they didn't allow dancing, no public dancing unless it was like interpretive, you know, um, but <laughs> which I do not do. Um, but so it was it was that kind of thing. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about just following a rule or even the law. He's talking about this sort of radical surrender of our entire lives to him, um, to the person of Jesus. Not just the stuff we do, but giving over our desires, our, our wants, our ambitions, our, even our plans to God's will. You know, every Sunday when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, um, we're supposed to mean that. You know, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That includes in my life. May, be, may I be a part of, of in your will. Um, but the struggle that we have is that most of us desire this life of, of comfort and success. I mean, we all want to be successful. You want people to look at you and say, you do really good. You know, you did a good job at, you, at whatever we try. We want to look like we're successful. We want people to notice. Um, but we also want comfort. I mean, nobody wants a hard life. Nobody wants to struggle. I mean, we want nice things, and we want it now. Uh, I worked juvie for a while, and that's usually what got most of those kids in trouble. They wanted nice things, and they wanted them now, and they didn't really want to work that hard for them. So they would get into drugs and another illicit things to, to, to try to get, you know, expensive things. 
But the thing is, we're called to this higher standard because Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This was probably a tough sell then, and it's probably an even tougher sell now. Because we today like our stuff. We like our stuff, we like our things. Our lives are full of things. We're, we, we spend so much time pursuing them. We want the latest thing, the best thing, the nicest thing, the fanciest thing. We want the things that everybody else wants. We want the things that society tells us we should want. Think for a moment how much of our lives is spent chasing stuff. Probably a lot. And I'm as guilty as everybody, as anybody. Like the pastor in the story, I like my technology and I like my books and drums. <laughs> but I actually had a shirt years ago that I would wear to youth group that said, um, he who dies with the most toys yeah. still dies. <laughs> I need to find that shirt or try to find it somewhere else. See, you can't take it with you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, to not store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where, where thieves break in and steal, but to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, one, one of my struggles with, with politics right now, and I'm not talking about any particular politician because I think they're all terrible, um, is, is a lot would, when it's special holidays or, or anniversaries of holidays and things that they'll come out and, you know, Christmas time and Easter time, they'll quote scripture and, and try to, you know, because they want to get the Christian vote. But then if you look at the way they live and their bank accounts and, and how they sort of deal with finances and things, it's obvious to tell where their treasure is, and it's not up there. And I struggle with that because the other part of that is that Jesus calls us to look out for others, but we've made this world all about us. Even our politicians have made this world about them. Um, John Cleese, I got to see him at the Kirby Center a few years ago. They watched Monty Python's and the Holy Grail. It's merely a bloody flesh wound. Anyway, we watched Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and um, – they did an interview with him, and he actually said, if our world leaders wanted world peace and they really cared about us, we would have it. But they choose not to because, again, it's about them and it's about power and control. See, Jesus calls us to look out for others, but we've made everything about us. How would our world be different if we spent more time caring for each other? What if, how would our world look different if we took Jesus' command to care for the least of these to heart? If we really cared for the people around us, not asking, hey, do you deserve to eat? Do you deserve water? Do you deserve that job? Or do you deserve this? But just to feed them because they're hungry, not because they're deserving of it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are called to sacrifice because Jesus sacrificed for us. And for us to ever care about others, we have to be like Jesus and we have to first die 
to self. We have to take all of our stuff, we have to lay it at the foot of the cross. As Jesus says, for what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? The Christian life is not an easy life, but don't we want it to be? Don't we want Jesus to like, Jesus, I believe in you. Now put this little bubble around me and make everything easy. I don't want to ever have to grieve. I don't want to ever have to struggle. I want plenty of money in the bank. I don't want to get sick, Jesus And then when that stuff happens, it's like, God, where are you? But then we have to remember that we're going to have those because we live in a sinful, dying world. And what did Jesus tell the disciples? In this world, you will have trouble. There's actually a Christian radio station, and I I don't listen to Christian radio much. I don't listen to the radio much at all anyway. Um, But their motto used to be positive and encouraging. I often find that life is neither... (laughs) A lot of times life is not positive or encouraging. Sometimes life is hard. Often life is hard. In lives, we have challenges. We have hardships and we have trials. We have sickness. We have death. We have grief. We have loss. We have pain and suffering. Because this is not the world that we are supposed to be in. This is the world that we created for ourselves. And honestly, I think it's the world that we keep creating for ourselves because We see things from our limited human perspective because we're too selfish. But see, Christ tells us that in the midst of these things, lo, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with us. But first, we have to be willing to sacrifice, to follow him and to take up our cross so that he can walk along with us. Our passage today ends with these words. Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Every day, and honestly multiple times a day, we choose whether we will take up our cross or not. We choose whether or not we will be crucified with Christ. Every day we choose whether we will proclaim our faith or we'll be ashamed of it. Every day we choose whether we will follow Jesus or we will follow the things of this world. The choice is ours. Let us pray. Dear God, we come today. We ask that you would help us to choose you each and every time. With every choice we make, may we seek higher things, may we seek things above. And may we see the world from your divine perspective and not our limited human one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.